Ephesians 4, verse 17 through 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Last week we spoke about the perfect man. In our Sunday school class this morning in First Peter, we're told to be ye holy. God says, be ye holy as I am holy. But as we said last week, most all of us often want to steadfastly contend that no one is perfect, and neither can we be while we remain in this flesh. It's only as we leave this mortal flesh and enter into heaven that we will finally become truly perfect. And that's true. That's exactly true. But as we asked in a question last week, though that perfection is not wholly possible while we're in this life, what do we do with verse 13 that we studied last week? And those words tell us, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to a perfect woman, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here in today's text, and then also perhaps as we study on through more of these verses, we'll begin to at least capture some glimpse of how God intends for us to actually go about and fulfill this command of being a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As we begin our study today, may I lay down for us one basic rule of understanding that must underlie all such efforts and hopes and desires, and that is that as we are being saved and sanctified, set apart for the purposes and the plans of God, that you and I can really actually do nothing of our own abilities. It is only through the expressed involvement of God's Holy Spirit within us that we are able to begin to do these things that God is going to call us to in these next few verses. And there's many proofs of that inability of our flesh to do spiritual things. We read about that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man, the unbeliever, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because those Spiritual matters are spiritually discerned. Spiritual matters are spiritually discerned. And it only takes place in that way. God really does want you and me, his beloved sons and daughters, to move on into a deeper relationship with him. 
and to begin to understand these spiritual matters from a spiritual standpoint. And there is much that you and I can do and that we must do. And we must not think that the changes, that the transformation that he wants to take place within us is somehow going to be imputed to us from him or that it might take place on its own. He's saying here that you and I have to be very intentional as we step on forward into these things that God calls us to and into this participation of this transition that he wants to take place within us. And I realize what I'm saying to you right now is another form of a paradox, an oxymoron. We can't, but yet we must. It is impossible, but yet it's possible. No wonder the unbelieving world thinks Christianity is foolishness, as we just read. And those words there in 1 Corinthians also, chapter 1, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. The power that's spoken about here in this verse is a very, very special kind of power. A power that will be the source and the wellspring of all that's going to take place within us if we ever hope to be that perfect man that God is commanding us to be. Now here in today's passage, we're being given some of the steps that is our part in this great equation that God has set before us. He does his part, but you and I need to also do our part. He says again, and I want to read these words for us, beginning in verse 17, that I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Now let me emphasize here, God is commanding us to not walk as we used to walk. What he is saying to us that you and I now have the ability to make that kind of choice. We did not before, but we do now. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. We're told in the book of Revelation that we are poor, wretched, naked, and blind. Do you believe that you are in that condition? You and I must understand that that is what we're coming out of in our unbelief. Poor, wretched, naked, and blind. We've been alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in Uh, that was in us because of the blindness of that was in our own heart. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. By the way, if you read Romans chapter 1, you'll read almost the identical words of how there is this growing measure of, of wretchedness that is in the heart of an unbeliever. It doesn't just remain at its level. It will always increase. And it will grow to where we are just unaware. As it says here, that we're lewd, that we're lascivious, that we are unclean and greedy. Because it becomes a part of our life. And we're not even aware that we have become that way. Verse 20, But you have not so learned those ways from Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth as is in Christ, in Jesus, that you put off, listen, 
that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in your the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. It is the sincere hope and desire of every new believer that from that first moment that we are saved, that we be completely and totally cleansed from all of our sins. And that is a sweet and wonderful and powerful truth that does take place. We are cleansed from that moment. And then that's why we can so joyously sing, I'm washed in the blood. And we'll sing later, whiter than snow. But unfortunately, though it be true that in that one glorious moment that God really did wash us completely clean and free from all our sins, the battle for our soul was not and is not ever really over simply because from that one moment there was yet another moment yet to be lived and another moment. We live on past that moment that we receive Christ as our Savior and we're washed clean. If we were able to be taken away immediately into heaven, all things would then remain perfect. But that very seldom ever happens. The reality is we remain here in our mortal flesh and in amongst all the same corruption and the struggles that were in us before we were saved. I think so often of how people will get up from praying to receive Christ and have this joyous moment. But then as soon as they get in the front door of their home, everything's still the same back there. And as they go into their workplace, everything's still the same there. They are different. And that's what God is calling us to. He said, you're different now. Yes, you're going to go back into all of that corrupt condition. That's given to us in the parable of the weeds by the Lord Jesus, where he says that we as the wheat must remain literally intertwined within the roots of the weeds, the unbelievers of the world, until the day we're taken into heaven. And our old enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they are still there. They always remain. And ever present at their side is that great predator of our soul, sin. And it remains ever vigilant, ever stalking us, ever preying upon our soul, seeking to reclaim the ground that it lost in our salvation. I want to say that again to you. I've said it so often. Sin is not static. It is not something that you and I trip over. Sin is a predator that comes after you and me. It pursues us. It desires to have us. Those are the words that God gave in the book of Genesis as he spoke to Cain. Sin ever is pursuing us to reclaim that ground that it once had within us. Though there be, though many of those enemies around us who do really seek to steal, to kill, and to destroy us, ultimately, I want to repeat, ultimately sin is the one that becomes our greatest adversary. Sin is so clever, and I want us to understand it better because it's able to hide its real meaning and its presence 
and its impacts from us because we simply don't understand it well. And we leave these openings unguarded, unavailable to it. It's not, again, simply something that you and I stumble over. And it's not as if we could look at those commandments on the wall and as long as we don't violate any one of those, then we are not sinning. Let me give you a definition of sin that's given to us in Psalm 32. Let me read verses 1 and 2 for us. Blessed is he or she whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man or woman to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now as we read those words, transgression, sin, iniquity, deceit, we almost feel as if they are interchangeable words, that they all mean exactly the same thing, but they they don't. They do not mean the same things. The word that's translated transgression and sin, they have to do with the actual sins that we commit against God and against those around us. But these words, and especially the word iniquity, has to do with the nature that's within us. That nature out of which flows the sins that we commit, the transgressions and the sins. So this word iniquity has to do with our nature, our sin nature. So then, yes, the moment that we're saved, our slate is immediately wiped clean from all of the actual sins that we have committed. All of those are wiped clean, past, present, and future. Then also, on beyond, wiping those away, the power of the blood of Christ, as he saved us, also killed out that sin nature within us, that other kind of sin, killed out that sin nature in within us to the extent that it no longer has control over us. And I've said that to you so often, but I want to say it again. Romans chapter 6, God says to us, For sin, listen, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. The moment that you're saved, sin no longer has control over you. Now, yes, it still does have access to you. It has access to your flesh. And it seems to somehow meander around within us, unable to tempt us at every point. But recall that temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted. He never sinned. And so those old remains of our killed-out sin nature are still there, ever tempting us. Now, again... Were we able to have gone to be with the Lord that moment after we received Christ as, as did the thief there on the cross? He repented. And he immediately then, in just perhaps minutes, maybe a couple of hours, he didn't have much time to redevelop these old sinful habits. When he breathed his last, then that cleansing was complete. And he was in paradise with Jesus, as Jesus promised him. He was washed in the blood of the Lamb. But again, unfortunately, it's not the same for you and me. We did not breathe our last when we received Christ. We're still here. We're saved. But we're still here. And we have a whole bunch of future moments left to live in which the remnants of our old sin nature, is going, they're going to rear their head. They're going to reach for us. They're going to grab hold of us and try to bring us back into the life that they enjoyed, that sin enjoyed within us. Now here in these words, 
God is calling us to be that perfect man. And he's saying to us, yes, you're going to have this lifelong struggle. But he is assuring us that with him living within us through his Holy Spirit, that you and I can have life. That can be a living hope. It's a hope that lives within us every moment. And you and I are not to live just in a survival mode as we did before we received him. But rather you and I are to live as victorious conquerors. No longer trying to just keep our head above water. If you find yourself struggling to keep your head above water, the Lord says, I have something better for you. Here in today's passage, our old life in the flesh before we were saved, God is calling that the old man, the old woman. But I'm going to refer to it as the old man, as the scriptures do. That's your old self in those former days when you lived that life of unbelief. And you could not do things of righteousness even if you wanted to. Remember the verse I read to you earlier. As unbelievers, we cannot do righteous things. Spiritual behavior comes from the Holy Spirit. Let me read that for you. That's in Romans chapter 8. For those who, verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the laws of God, nor can it be. The unbelieving mind cannot do the things of God. And by the way, those are very painful words to anyone who would think that they can intellectually navigate themselves through to life and godliness. That can intellectually work their way into heaven. It cannot happen. Because that's not so for you and me. You and I, who have received Christ as our Savior, have everything that we need for life and godliness. And because we have God's Holy Spirit living within us, we have all the strength and the power to do those righteous and godly things that he's calling us to here. By all that we read here in these words and in other words that we'll be reading, uh, it is going to be a lifelong struggle, but he is going to provide us with everything that we need. But you and I have to do our part. And so he's saying to us, yes, I have given you everything you need for life and godliness, and I have given you my Holy Spirit. Remember, I told you that these words are set within the context of him giving us his, himself as, as his Holy Spirit, and he is giving us his fruits and his gifts. And he, set with, he says, set within that context, I still want you to do something. And that's what he's talking about here. And he says to us, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of your mind. Do not let yourself meander each day through life. You, he's saying to us, you've got to get up in the morning and be very intentional in who you are and what you're doing. If you don't have time to spend time in the Lord in your own quiet time in the morning, make time. Make time. If you're used to getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning, get up at 5. Be intentional. Don't let yourself simply flow through and meander through life as the rest of the Gentiles walk. He says, you're in the futility of your mind. 
having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness that's in their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness and greediness. How many times do we make excuses for what we're doing? Because we'd rather keep flowing the way we used to. We'd rather keep on renting the same movies we used to rent, watching the same lewdness within those movies, doing the same kind of greedy thinking that we have in our workplace, all of those behaviors that we should not keep with us now that we are in Christ. He says, but you have not so learned all of those things from Christ if you have indeed heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off that old man. Put off that old man which keeps growing in its corruption according to deceitful lust. He gives us another similar example over in Second Corinthians 5.17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. That old man has actually passed away. Why let him live there in you as he used to? You and I are not that old man anymore, that old woman in Christ. We have been set absolutely free because when we have been set free, when Jesus shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Now here in today's text, God is simply exhorting you and me to treat these words as if they were the truth that they are. That I am not that old man, that you are not that old man that you once were. And you should not live that way any longer. You should be intentional about the way that you treat that old lifestyle, that old sinful self. As the old man, we're being empowered, he says, by Satan himself. If we let that old man continue to control us. Verse 27, he says, do not give place for the devil. God's very intentional here. We're not to give place for the devil. Now what that means is, clearly saying to us that we do have a choice. If we decide to just flow the way we used to, we're giving place to the devil. And you and I can now refuse to do that. We now have the power of the Holy Spirit within us to say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. And here again, we read in verse 17, Therefore, and I testify to the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of of your mind. As I read these words, by the way, I I have this visual impression that the Lord is saying, you can't really see how you're behaving as easily as you can see how others are behaving. So he's saying, look at those other Gentiles, because he keeps warning us, don't walk as the other Gentiles do. He's saying, now if you can't see it within yourself, at least look at them and realize that you may be just like them, even now. And you should not be, because you are not that old man walking in the ways of the flesh. And he's saying, you've got to stop doing that. If your problems are as mine, I'll give you a couple of those before we close. In my old self, I was filled with anger. There came a time within my walk with the Lord that I realized that I needed to put that anger aside. And I needed to allow God's peace to overcome that anger and to calm it. Do you have a problem with anger? If your old self is lewd or vulgar, 
as he speaks of here. If you like watching those kinds of programs on television or reading those kinds of books, put all that away from you intentionally. Put it all away from you. Get away from it. If you like strong drink, I did. I needed to put it away from me, even to the last drop, because alcohol affected me wrongly. Where to get away from it. What if your problems that you're bringing into this new Christian life with you, put them away from you. Put off that old person and put on this new one that he is promising to us. I realize I've just run out of time. So let me close with this thought. And we'll talk more about putting off the old man next week. Let me close with this thought. You and I have truly been set free. We really have. From all the control of this and the dominion of the old sin nature and its unrighteousness. You and I are to put off that old self. And you and I are to, be, are to put on Christ. And let me assure you that that life as you already know, is so much sweeter than that old life of misery. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man which was created according to God. Let's pray.